Hello, folks. This is a interview with Pyromaniac Mo. Uh, in the past, I've done many of these via video. I've also done them over the phone call, and today I'm lucky enough to be Skyping with Pat Thorman. He is on Twitter. You can find him at P-A-T underscore T-H-O-R-M-A-N. He is the lead writer for Pro uh, Football Focus. Consultant at Draft Day Consultants Incorporated. Pat, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's a, it's a lovely Saturday morning. My wife and uh, my kid are off for the weekend, and uh, I'm about to geek out on some football for like the next 48 hours. So things are things are good. That sounds like a dream in my world. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, Pat, how can besides Twitter, how can fantasy football fans? find you um sure they can find my work at a uh, uh, profile focus fantasy um and uh, my rankings are also up there and at fantasy pros uh, on sunday mornings i uh, do a pregame podcast for a uh, profile focus and um you'll occasionally hear me as a guest on some others but uh, mostly I, I hang around twitter and uh, i try to do my best to you know answer every question that comes in and and uh and i've been successful to this point yeah, you've been a great follow on Twitter, uh, informative and interactive. So I thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, it just it's just fun talking ball with people. Um, of of I mean, I don't care if you have five followers or or you know fifty thousand. It's just fun to talk ball. Yeah, it is. All the differing opinions and the stuff that's on people's mind. It's cool. Absolutely. At Pyromaniac, we're always trying to peel back the curtain, so to speak, and reveal the wizard, I guess, and uh, tell people what we're using. You know, for example, I love FF Today, uh, Pro Football Focus, obviously. I get a lot of news from RotoWire. Um, what's a resource or two that you find most helpful during the season? Um, well, you know, for news, you know, uh, RotoWorld is, is great, um, and uh, their, their analysis is awesome. You know, Evan does a great job. You know, Adam Leviton and and uh, and Ray Summerlin and RotoPad, they all do a great job. Um a Rotoviz, I, I frequent Rotoviz quite a bit. Their apps are, are really, really intuitive, um, and their articles have plenty, uh, plenty of insight as well. Um, and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I spend about two hours a day in the car commuting in and out of Boston. Um, so I mean, I, I have about ten hours to kill. Um, and instead of listening to you know sports radio screaming at each other, um, you know, from the Fake Goods Pod to Rotoviz Radio, Rummy and Ray, um, the Football Guys uh, pods. Uh, and a lot of the DFS pods. I'm looking forward to um, you know, Fantasy Labs um, and uh, Road to World with Evan and uh, Evan Silva and uh, Adam Leviton. They're coming out with one, and of, of course the PFF pods. And, and, and you know they, they give me they give me ideas in, in addition to you know entertainment. Um, and so then you know from there you know I kind of you know head over to, to Pro Football Reference and do a lot of the research there. And and of course on Pro Football Focus, you know between the grades and the metrics that they come up with. Yeah, I believe it was on Rotoviz actually that I recently heard you and then reached out to you. Uh, you were discussing something I was actually talking about on the Pyro Podcast Lite, I believe episode four um, with my buddy D Rex. Uh, I was talking about streaming quarterbacks, and one thing I mentioned um, was using the Vegas lines to try to find the higher scoring games. Obviously, if they're putting up more points, quarterbacks should be doing pretty well. Um, you took an interesting approach to Vegas numbers as well, specifically 2015 game line projections. Talk about using projected win totals in comparisons with last year's numbers to give you fantasy insights. I'm sure. I mean, it, it, it you know it kind of gives you like a like a macro view of you know kind of you know, likely game scripts 
um, you know, obviously some players are more susceptible than others um, to, uh, you know, to negative game scripts, you know, for instance, you know, running backs who don't catch passes, especially, um, you know, they're going to be on the bench if their team's losing and, you know, they're going to watch the third down back, you know, get those snaps and get those fantasy points. Um, and anyway, so in general, um, you know, you kind of want running backs from high wind teams. Uh, Ray Summerlin had a stat the other day of, of the top 12 running backs over the last three years. Um, they're, their teams averaged 9.8 wins. Um, and uh, so they, they were basically almost all, you know, 10 win or more uh, teams that these, that these good running backs are on. Obviously there are exceptions, but you know, that, that's, that's kind of what you, what you're looking for from a game flow standpoint. And, you know, the Vegas Lions are, are, they're sharp. I mean, they, those guys have a lot riding on them uh, on being right. And, you know, they have a lot of resources and, and, and we can kind of leverage their resource research um, and, and, uh, and all the money and time they pump into that um, to kind of take advantage. Uh, because, I mean, there's a fallacy that, you know, Vegas puts a line out just to get even money on both sides. And while that's, you know, that's, that's true, they kind of, they can hedge that way. They don't want to hang a line out there that's just obviously wrong just to get even money because the sharps will just hammer them. And then that'll move the line and then they'll go to the other side and hedge themselves. So they need to be right when they put the line out there. Um, and so, you know, we can we can use that to kind of predict, you know, which teams are looking to improve a little bit, you know, which teams are, are, are about to take a step back. Yeah. And if uh, they're wrong, you might end up in a hole out there in the Vegas desert. Some of those boys. <laughs> I've seen Casino. I know how it works. <laughs> Joe Pesci definitely, definitely keeps his eye on fantasy football. Yeah. You don't want to see Joe <laughs> Pesci coming at you with a baseball bat. <laughs> One team, they're not going to have um, over a ton of wins, but I noticed the Jets, um, the Vegas has them winning about seven and a half games. And that's a big step up from four games last season. So with that, you should think you would see some improvement with the running back. So uh, Chris Ivory, I was just talking to about Chris Ivory in episode five with my buddy. I was saying that I think he's going to be a draft day bargain. Uh, how do you feel about this guy? I completely agree. Um, I've, I've written about Ivory a couple times this offseason, um, you know, prior to looking at those uh, lines, those win totals. And then, you know, in conjunction with that, uh, you know, the, the Jets were losing on 80 percent of their fourth quarter snaps last year. Um, and so they're not you're not running the ball in that situation. Ivory had the 14th most first half carries last year and the 29th most second half carries. I mean, he's, he's a good back I and mean, he was a bargain last year. You know, he finishes the running back 19 um, and he looks like he's going to be a bargain this year. I mean, that, that defense is going to be, is going to be very good. I mean, the only hole they really have is kind of a natural pass rusher, but you know, Todd Bowles showed, you know, in Arizona, he can kind of scheme pressure so he can kind of cover that hole. So, I mean, this is a team that's going to stay in games. They're going to be able to, to run, excuse me, in the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, and Ivory, it's, I mean, especially if they're winning, Ivory kind of profiles as that, you know, hammer down a, a win uh, running back out, you know, in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, he's a good running back. I mean, just a couple of years ago, there was yeah. that Twitter, Twitter campaign, the free Ivory campaign. Well, he's kind of free now and he's been freed. He's been unleashed and he's done well. And people kind of are, are still you know, cool on him or, the, or he's kind of old news for some reason. And, and I mean, I don't know people worry about the Chan Gailey, you know, spread offense effect but I mean, he's shown in the past that he can be flexible the 96 Steelers that was a run-based team with a good defense um that profile is kind of similar to what the Jets are looking at um looking like and uh you know I mean all the PFF metrics and grades you know really like Ivory quite a bit and uh so do I especially at his, especially at his uh, his draft cost 
Yeah, uh, when I looked, he was, I believe, ADP was around the ninth round for a starting running back in the NFL. Yeah. And you mentioned some of the PFF matrix. Um, I believe I looked it up that he was the fourth most elusive back last year, which it was really surprising. Um, and you know, Paul Chargian, I've heard him refer to Ivory as Beast East, 50, 52 broken or missed tackles. That was fourth in the NFL. And for a ninth rounder, you know, he had, I believe, three top 12 performances last year. I believe he had eight um, performances where he put up either, you know, one through 24. So he was a running back two. That's fantastic return on investment for a ninth rounder. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, during the 12 weeks that he got double digit carries, he was the running back 13. And that was only with about 15 touches a game. And, and, and most of them were carries. I mean, he didn't he only got about, you know, a, one reception per game. So he's shown that he can produce without uh, the passing work, um, which is kind of the biggest knock on him this year. Um, so you know, his, his baseline is, is, is as a bargain, is, as a draft day, you know, win and with upside from there. On the other side of the coin, uh, what teams are picked to lose more games this year? And by extension, you know, what players might suffer because of this in fantasy? Um, well, Dallas uh, was one that's got a, you know, two and a half fewer wins. Um, and you know, they're, they're a team that that's kind of a hot button topic with, you know, Joe Randall, but um, they were, they were only losing on the, the fourth lowest percent of fourth quarter snaps last year. Um, they had 31st most fourth quarter snaps and they still had the seventh most fourth quarter rushes. That's good, you know, cause they were winning the whole time. So if they're not in that position, they're going to be throwing more. That's going to take away from the bottom line for their running backs. And especially in what should be a split backfield. But even if say Joe Randall, who I'm not a big believer in does get that running back one position or that, that label anyway, um, you know, Lance Dunbar is going to be very involved in the passing game. Um, who knows who else they, they're going to bring in. Gus Johnson is kind of a, kind of a, um, you know, film watcher's dream. Um, they brought him in because Ryan Williams, um, you know, he's obviously not holding up. Darren McFadden's has hurt his other hamstring. So they might bring in another veteran. Who knows if it's Ray Rice, Stephen Jackson texted them or so, or, or tweeted at him. Um, so it, that backfield is going to be a mess to begin with. And they're going to have, Few, less volume, which is kind of, you know, was a huge boost to them last year. So that's that's something that I'm kind of staying away from, although I am grabbing uh, Dunbar late because he's free, and especially in PPR or best ball, I think it gives you a nice floor. Um, you know, a couple other teams are, are you know, Detroit, you know, you know Jack Bell, I, I don't think I have much of him um, at all. I don't think I have any shares. Uh, and and the, the Patriots, too, which is, which is interesting, um, they're projected for two fewer wins. Um, so you've got a guy like Blount who is – definitely kind of um, one-dimensional, put it that way. And you know, the Patriots, when they go up against good run defenses, they throw the ball. I mean, they're a, game plan, they're a game plan offense. And they face eight run defenses that were in the top half last year, this, um, coming up in 2015. And Miami, who wasn't, you know, added Sue, and, and, and they're obviously, their front seven's looking a little bit better. So that's 10 games that Blount doesn't have a great matchup. Plus, his, one of his good matchups against Pittsburgh, he's suspended for. So there are going to be few matchups you're excited to. to I, he's still cheap, and I'm not saying he's not a value, but he's a guy that I'm not as head over heels as I was when he was going two or three rounds later. 
So besides wind projections from Vegas, are there any other ways that you can use Vegas lines to, or any numbers coming from Vegas to give fantasy owners a leg up? Sure, sure. I mean, like you mentioned before, looking at the over-unders, well, that's always a good place to start, um, especially you know, in DFS for cash games. It gives you a, a, a top-down sense of what the game is going to be like. Um, you, know, you can take that to one next level with the team totals, individual team totals. It's kind of the same idea. Um, I mean, but, but if on the other side of the coin, like in a large field GPP, where you want to be contrarian, you can kind of look at those over-unders because it's not a big secret that, that you know, DFSers look at over-unders in, in when they make in their decisions. So I mean, you can look at one of those with the low over-unders, you know, see if, see if there's, a, there's a guy that kind of stands out there and you're, you're going to have less people on him. So as kind of a contrarian play, you can, you can do that. Um, but they're, they're, well, that's just a good way to kind of work backwards to get, you know, loose projections, which when I say loose, you know, you, you don't want to be too tight with your projections because they're naturally, you know, fallible. Um, and uh, you kind of want to get that range of outcomes and, and getting those over-unders and team totals is, uh, is a good way of doing that. Um, player props are certainly interesting. A lot of people use them. I don't use them. I don't rely on them very much. Um, they're not really going to change what I do very often but they're but they're you know like we said before you know vegas is is, is sharp and, and they're probably smarter than than most of us they're just smarter than i am so you know you can leverage their research and their resources so i mean anything that they put out there is interesting um and the player props are one of them yeah i'm kind of a, a stat geek you know i'm a deadhead fish head and nice. I, I got into conversations you know how many times they would play such and such a song or when a song would come up in the second set versus first set openers i just i geek out on stats oh and i'm, I'm, I'm a fish fan myself um I, I i did not know that about you um i am a pretty active fish head and uh i'm looking forward to going to magna ball this year yeah, yeah. I've seen 30-some shows. Right. It's been uh, slowed down lately, certainly with the family. But uh, we got to see him last year in Michigan, which was uh, nice. Right it was on. a few years off, so it's good to be back on tour. Right on. Um, so some other metrics, you know, besides fish and what songs <laughs> they're playing in the second set. Um, you can find anything in the NFL. I mean, you can find out how many running backs are eating Wheaties versus Lucky Charms. And there's so many data points out there. Um, for me, I like top positional weeks, you know, how many times a guy finished in the top 12 or the top 24, you know, other things, uh, red zone stats or even some strength of schedules, depending on where they're coming from. What's one or two data points that you find particularly useful? <laughs> it, it, it'd, be, it'd be tough to, to narrow it down to one or two. Um, but uh, I, I kind of just as, as, a, as a general strategy, I kind of take – I start – with a broad range and I kind of drill down, um, you know, I, I look at like team snaps and team pace just to kind of get an idea of how big the pie is and, you know, how big it could be coming, you know, or if it's shrinking or whatever. And then I kind of drill down to individual snap shares um, and individual opportunity shares. Um, you know, that kind of gives you a sense of, you know, how big of a slice of that pie um, is for each player. And then you look at individual efficiency stats, point per opportunity, which is the metric PFF um, has on the fantasy side, which is, you know, carries plus pass routes run as the opportunity, um, the points per target, the catch rate in conjunction with average depth of target with a dot, um, you know, if Jarvis Landry has a high catch rate because he's, you know, running three yard routes versus someone downfield who's got a high catch rate, you know, that, that tells you um, 
tells you a little bit more. It gives you more color on that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the consistency stats, um, you know, how often the players in the, you know, the top 12 or top 24 is his position on, on a weekly basis. And I'm also with you on strength of schedule. I, I know that that's, that's kind of got a stigma about it. Um, you know, about how can you project, you know, what, what it's going to be, you know, year to year. I mean, we do that on offense all the time. And that's what we're doing with running backs sure. and wide receivers and tight ends. And it's like, you know, we're not idiots. We, we, we can we can look at the defense and be like, well, the Jets last year were a good, good matchup for quarterbacks because their secondary stunk and they had no pass rush. And you weren't running the ball on them. But this year, now you're not going to be able to run the ball on them. They're going to have pressure generated, you know, through blitzes, and they got a good secondary, so now they're a bad matchup. I mean, that's not that's not a hard thing to do. Um, you know, you don't you don't want to lock in and 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 have speaking absolutes, but you know, Seattle's going to be a bad matchup. You know, the Jets are going to be a bad matchup, and you know who's going to be, you know the Bears are going to be a good matchup. So you can kind of you know, as far as like pairing quarterbacks in best ball, I mean, you're going to have two quarterbacks, and you want your top guys by week and toughest matchups to be covered. You could, you can look at that stuff. And, and obviously as the season goes on, it gets more accurate, but um, you know, to kind of just throw your, to throw your eyes up or whatever and, and, and not, you know, give it any credit at all, I, I think is, is kind of cutting your nose off and spite your face. Yeah. Let's uh, look at some of your specific rankings. So what you do with these data points and how it translates into who's ranked where. I was checking them out on Fantasy Pros. They've kind of got a, a unique feature called Dissenting Opinions Football Rankings. Essentially, users can plug in anyone's name, uh, any of the pros' names. So I, I plugged in your name, and I saw your rankings versus the consensus. And then you can filter it to see where your opinion differs from the consensus. I noticed uh, you seemed particularly high on rookie running backs. Now, we're talking degrees here. We're not talking anything outstanding, but you, you seemed high on uh, rookie RBs. So, for example, Abdullah, um, you had him six spots above the consensus at RB25. Coleman, you had higher. Duke Johnson, David Johnson, Ajay, uh, Allen. All these guys were higher than the consensus. Um, is it rookie running back love or why what do you see in these guys that others don't perhaps um well i, I in in general i mean I, I, we like young running backs i mean we've all seen those those age uh, curves and how you know the, the best seasons that running backs have are, are in their early early years and it drops off fairly fairly quickly you know around age 28 29 30 um but uh it's so it's not it's not really i didn't set out to make sure that my my rookies were you know two to five slots ahead of consensus. It just on an individual basis, you know, looking at them and looking at the guys in their areas, um, it kind of just worked, worked out that way. Um, you know, rookies, you know, with running back position, there's a low barrier to fantasy football relevancy versus like a tight end or a wide receiver. I mean, these guys just need opportunity. I mean, they, good, good O-line helps and a decent offense certainly helps, but they, they need the solid role. And so if you could project them into that role, into that opportunity, um, you know, they're going to do well with it, whether or not they're, you know, a, a, a spark all-star or, 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 or kind of a sloth. Um, so it's not, it's not specific to rookies, but it's, it's, a, it's a preference for young running backs and a preference for a situation. Speaking of situation, you had two guys back-to-back, uh, Abdullah from the Lions. I believe he was ranked about 25, and that may have changed. I looked this up earlier this week. Coleman from Atlanta, um, 26, so right next to each other. Uh, what do you see in them, perhaps, that you like them so much, or, by extension, what do you not see in Joyke Bell or Devonta Freeman? 
Um, well, Abdul and Bellis, it's certainly a combination. I mean, Abdul is just a vastly superior athlete. He's more versatile. Um, he might he might lose short yardage work um, or some in, inside running, but that's probably temporary. I mean, you put those two guys next to each other in a, in a drill. I mean, it's not going to take long to realize you know who, who you want to get the ball, who you want to get the ball. Um, and, and and Bell hasn't even been in those drills yet, which is a pretty big red flag for a guy who's coming off of three surgeries on you know on his legs over the last two years. I mean, he's he's pretty much been Bell has been he's a kind of a glorified goal line back. Um, and he got a disproportionate amount of his fantasy value last year out of the fourth quarter, you know, over 30% of his carries and yards and over 50% of his touchdowns. Um, you know, he's averaged under four yards a carry the last two years. There's been a decline in, in PFF rushing grades and his elusive rating. Um, his breakaway percentage stinks. Um, and, and like we said, you know, he's breaking down physically. So he's not a guy that it's going to take Abdullah very much to pass. Um, and so, I, I'm, I'm pretty, that's why I'm his most bullish on Abdullah. Um, as far as, as far as Freeman and, and Coleman, I mean, to be honest, I don't have a great sense of what is going to shake out there. That's, that's a, that's a ranking that is going to move. There's no question about it based on what we see, you know, what we hear in camp and, and what we see in the preseason. Um, you know, Freeman's supposedly going to get passing down role, um, by some, by some reports, but I mean, he needs to improve his blocking. He was 53rd out of 62 running backs in pass blocking efficiency last year. Although that was a relatively small sample, but I mean, they have a, a shaky offensive line. So it's going to be important for their backs to be able to, to block and Coleman can block, but he's not quite as laterally, laterally elusive as, as Freeman is, but he's more straight line explosive. So, and, and there's the, the thing about who fits, you know, that blocking scheme better. And so, I mean, that one, I'm not confident in that ranking with Coleman. Um, I think he does have more upside than Freeman, which is probably why I have him earlier, but that's going to be a fungible ranking. Yeah, I agree with you with the upside on Coleman. I test with Devonta Freeman. He just never showed me anything yeah. last year. He's got a great, Coleman has a great opportunity. And being a Lions fan, I totally believe in Abdullah. I think he will supplant Bell. I just don't know when. I'm scared, but I, you know, I want to see the preseason once Bell actually gets in there. Um, but I do believe Abdullah is going to supplant him. I just don't know when that's going to happen. Hopefully earlier than later. Um, again, preseason will shine a light on that, hopefully a little bit more. Yeah. Switching over to uh, quarterbacks, you know, if all went well uh, and you could target one or two, uh, which guys are you taking and, and why? Um, well, I mean, I, I, usually, I usually wait uh, on them. Um, so it's kind of who kind of shakes out when I'm – when I'm feeling good about my running backs and receivers and, and, and a tight end. Um, so I'm in that, you know, quarterback 10 to 14 range is where I'm getting it. I mean, Romo is, is my guy. He's kind of been my guy for a long time and he's just starting to get the credit. I think he just deserved for quite a while. Um, you know, the problem is his volume has, has gone down. I mean, over the last two years, he's lost a hundred plus attempts each of the last two seasons. Um, so that's, that's gone from a, you know, a, a high volume passer to, to a, almost a game manager. Um, but you know, he was third in, uh, fantasy points per attempt last year. Um, and, you know, we're hoping those attempts are going to regress. And I think they will with the running back situation. Um, he threw 51 fewer fourth quarter passes than the NFL average. Um, because, you know, because they were winning so much. And if he keeps his per attempt efficiency, which is, is might be a stretch, but bear with me. If he did for those 51 passes, he, that would have moved him from the QB 12 to the QB 7 last year. So I think he's still, even though he's getting more credit, I think he's definitely 
still underrated. Um, and he's an average quarterback against, you know, pass, pass, a pass rush. When he has pressure in his face, he's average, and he's a top three quarterback when he's got a clean pocket. And he's finally got that offensive line. They've been using it mostly to run. But, I mean, if he had this offensive line two or three years ago with that passing volume, I think we would be talking about Romo in, in a whole different light. Um, Sam Bradford's another one. Um, yes. He's so cheap still, and I think it's because everyone's scared. Of, you know, understandably, it's a concern about – you know, his injury history and, um, you know, getting back on the field after a second ACL. But, I mean, if you look at the Philly quarterbacks over the last two years, you know, they com- if you combine all their points in each of the seasons, they would have been a quarterback two in 2013 and it would have been a quarterback 11 last year. I mean, that's with Mark Sanchez and, and, and Foles, you know, not, you know not, not the Foles of 13, but the Foles of 14, plus Mark Sanchez, who was okay. But that's still equated to the QB 11. And that's a that's a huge bargain for Bradford. I think he has some upside from there. He's you know he's more accurate. He gets rid of the ball quicker, which is kind of what Chip Kelly wants. So Romo and Bradford are are two guys that um there's a number of them. Carson Palmer, Cam Newton, uh, and as he falls, I'm 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 nibbling on him a little bit more in MFL tens. But Romo and Bradford stand out the most to me. Not as big of a believer in Cam Newton. I think he sort of flashes and he'll certainly win you some weeks, but over the long haul. Uh, I think he hurts you more than he helps you. But two names stood out. Certainly uh, Bradford. I love the system there. Um, last season, Nick Foles, he only played eight games out of the first 16. Four times he was a top 12 quarterback. Sanchez played nine games out of the first 16 weeks, and he was four times as well. So we're talking eight times out of the first 16 weeks, 50% that you've got a QB1 under that system. And I think Bradford is a step up from either of those guys. I agree. Definitely. I'm really – Really liking Bradford. I also like Carson Palmer. Of course, both guys, you're talking, you're crossing your fingers, hoping they don't get injured. <laughs> but one reason I'm liking Palmer, if we could shift to uh, wide receivers a little bit, is I think John Brown's a, a pretty good deal. I have him as my highest rated Arizona receiver. You know, I realize I'm probably on the outside here. Um, you got Floyd, I believe, first, Fitzgerald right behind him, JB down a little bit further. Um, first of all, do you see Floyd, or what do you see in Floyd, to give him the highest ranking out of the three? And then what concerns you about John Brown? I mean, this is a tough situation. I mean, I don't know if anyone's got the right answer right now um, because it's tough to project versus you know off of what happened last year. Um, you know, I mean, Fitz was was the wide receiver 17 when Palmer played. Uh, Brown was the wide receiver 27, and Floyd was the wide receiver 42. So I mean, that's kind of you know backwards to what to what I have because I think I do have Fitz um as high as Floyd but um anyway um you know Floyd Floyd had what he had five for 120 week one with Palmer and then Palmer got hurt and then Floyd got dinged up and it, it just it just never really clicked um but you know he Floyd was the wide receiver 10 in December um I, granted a lot of it came from that week 17 game which didn't help too many fantasy learners which is was extra frustrating um I mean, I, I do. I like Brown a lot. Um, my, my problems with Brown is I don't he won't play as many snaps as the other two, you know, barring injury. I mean, last year he had um, he had 80 percent of snaps just once. Um, he's, he's not a big red zone threat. Um, you know, he can get up. He, he can. He's an athletic freak. He can certainly get up, but he's not a traditional end zone um, red zone threat. Um, and, you know, he's he's kind of be tough to use in, in weekly leagues if, if you know, last year holds anyway he was the wide receiver one one time he was a wide receiver he was a wide receiver two uh two times so and, and three quarters of his weeks he was below 
uh, the top 36 wide receivers. So, I mean, he wasn't all that usable last year. Um, and I, I certainly think he's going to take a step forward. Um, he's, you know, he's done offseason work with Palmer, and, and, um, and I, I, I like him as well. I, I should probably move the other two down a little bit just because I don't have a great read on this um, as of right now, just to be, just to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but, I mean, and, and Palmer, I mean, as much as I love Palmer, and he had great stats when he had a clean pocket over the two years he's been in Arizona, and he, he did he had great stats last year when he played those six games, um, but those were the lightest games of his schedule, and they do have um, a fairly tough schedule. So it's, uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a weekly matchup type offense, um, and I think Palmer fits that for, for streamers. And it's, it's a tough call on, on, the, on the receivers, but I still think Floyd is the best pure talent um, that they have right now. I did some research on these guys, and when Carson Palmer played, which I believe was you know, the six games, weeks one, and then six through ten, uh, let's see, Fitzgerald did have the most fantasy football points, uh, 10.5, John Brown had 8.2 in that time, averaged 8.2, and Floyd 6.3. One thing that was interesting, I looked at three different sources for targets for John Brown, and I got three different answers. <laughs> but according to Roto World, uh, John Brown had 43, so he had the most targets with Carson Palmer, Fitzgerald had 39 in that time, and Roto World said Michael Floyd had 28. Again, three different sources, three <laughs> different stats, but two out of the three did agree with um, John Brown having more targets from Palmer, and one, he was literally right behind, I think one target behind Fitzgerald. So I like the connection they seem to have, and by off-season work with Carson Palmer and John Brown, you mean you know they're skipping to Home Depot together because <laughs> they're living together in the off-season. That is that's an intangible that has to translate, you'd think, to the field a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough it's tough to quantify, but I but I agree. I mean, it, but I mean, how much of it is is you know Gino living with Brandon Marshall for a couple of weeks, and how much of it is it, it, it's tough it's tough to quantify. Um, and I, I, John Brown, I've, I've gotten in best ball. I've gotten him in, in NFL tens. Um, I, I'm not too bullish on on him in redraft weekly leagues. I'm not exactly sure how comfortable you're going to be starting him on a game to game basis. One guy that many of the pyro mind shares are really excited about is Devontae Adams. I'm probably the lowest on the Green Bay uh, wide receiver number three. Uh, you've got him at wide receiver fifty. Uh, I am more with you, but what would you say to someone who's got him ranked almost inside the top 20? I'd say it's a high-risk move um, to take him you know, at his ADP and, and to rank him that high. Um, you're betting on an injury with a fairly high-value draft pick, um, which is <laughs> it, it, it's an it's a aggressive, aggressive way to play it. I mean, in, in Green Bay, what exactly has changed in that offense um, they're returning almost every single snap from 2014. I think 96%. Rich Rebar had a stat. It was either returning 96% of the targets or 96% of the snaps. So there's not a lot that's changed. Um, he certainly he could be enormous if he, if there's an injury. But you know, so could Cody Latimer, and so could Moncrief, so could Christine Michael. Um, and and you can get those guys, you know, well after you can get Adams. I mean, he was super inefficient last year, um, and even with a step forward, which I think he can take. I think he's a good. I think he's a good receiver, and he's obviously in a good situation with a good quarterback. But um, it's still going to leave him in inconsistent week-to-week territory. Like, when do you start, and when are you going to feel, you know, good about starting him? Um, I, I'm I'm just not on board at his at his cost. 
I agree. Uh, I mean, some people have him rated over guys who are the first wide receiving option on their team. And on Green Bay, he's the third option. And the third by a large margin. I mean, we're talking Cobb is arguably a, a number one. Same thing with Nelson. So to me, it's just too big of a gamble, I think, um, there's too many better options there with Cobb and Nelson, and I don't like moving them ahead of a wide receiver one or even sometimes a wide receiver two on, on a given team. I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I mean, who knows? They make you have give you know, Eddie Lacy a little more volume this year. I mean, they, they were a fairly low-volume offense last year, which you expect a little bit of a rebound, but, I mean, maybe they, they run a little bit more. I mean, Aaron Rodgers isn't, you know, a, a young buck at this point. You know, he's he had the calf injury last year, and, and you saw how you know that kind of affected – know their offense a little bit and and I don't know I mean who knows about you know, Richard Rodgers might get a few more targets and they seem to be you know happy with him it, it's just basically for him to pay off or to exceed his draft value he needs an injury and that's that's a tough way to that's a tough way to bet with a high leverage pick Pat I've got two more questions for you again folks we're sitting down with Pat Thorman is P-A-T underscore T-H-O-R-M-A-N on Twitter um, two more before we let you go uh, generally, the more mock drafts a guy does, the better he's going to be prepared. Uh, so let's break it up into thirds, maybe you know, rounds 1 through 5, 6 through 10, 11 through 16. Uh, give me a guy from each that you've been ending up with on your mock drafts. Uh, 1 through 5, I, I looked at my, my Rotoviz, uh, expo- uh, you go on Rotoviz in the, for the S-Ball app for MFL 10s, um, you can see your exposure. And I, I've got 41 uh, leagues that I've done that are finished, um, and I have Kelsey in 14 of them. Um, Right at the right around the fifth round, um, I'm, I haven't been grabbing him in the fourth, and uh, I've got a bunch of Lamar Miller too. Um, those those are a couple guys that I have um, in the top five rounds the most. Uh, Six through ten. Um, Alan Robinson and Eric Decker. Uh, they, they're I have the same exposures to them in, in those two rounds, and then in the eleven to fifth, eleven to sixteen, uh, Woodhead and Roy Hallou. Uh, I like those names. Roy Hulu, I've not been uh, attracted too much. And the one that kind of stood out that we don't seem to talk about too much is Decker. Uh, do you think he's going to do better as a, as a natural number two now that he's got Marshall on his team? Well, uh, I mean, that, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure that he will be the number two. You know, I mean, it, it seems like he would be, you know, based on reputation. And, and heck, his best years came as a number two in, in Denver. Not that I'm equating Geno or, or, or Fitzmagic to, to Peyton Manning or anything, but... Um, People forget last year that that you know he was hurt for quite a bit of last year and he played through you know hamstring uh, injuries and but during the eleven weeks that he ran twenty five or more routes he was a wide receiver ten with Geno Smith and I'm sure that yeah. that last week skews it but it was still impressive even without that that last that week seventeen when he blew up against Miami um, so you know and and that's with Geno last year so you're gonna you're gonna anticipate some improvements some more passing volume with Cham Gailey. And if Gino, you know, West himself, Ryan Fitzpatrick has shown that he is a decent baseline and he's facilitated good fantasy seasons for his receivers before, and he knows that offense. So it's not going to take him long to, to step in and, and be relatively productive. So, and Decker is so cheap. I, I don't, I don't yeah. understand why people, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe it is the Marshall thing and the, and the name kind of, you know, blinds them or, or the Jets or the Gino thing. I don't know, but I'm happily taking Decker in the, in the eighth or ninth um, rounds every time I and I can get him. Yeah, currently Fantasy Pros has Decker uh, pick 108. 
um, 41st wide receiver overall. Um, <laughs> right after him, they've got Torrey Smith, uh, Perriman, Bolden, Colston, Devontae Adams. Yeah. So that's a great value. Yeah. Um, we don't talk about the Jets enough. <laughs> Uh, on the other side of the coin, guys you've been ending up with, what about guys that just haven't – you haven't found um, their way to your, your team? Okay, well, in, in the first – in those first five rounds, besides the quarterbacks, because I, I, don't, I don't take sure. quarterbacks, um, McCoy and Forte, um, I got one share of each of them in MFL 10, in the 41 MFL 10s that I've done. Um, I, I'm, I just – I would rather take another running back where they're going um, or the back end of that top wide receiver tier in the second round. Like, Agree with you fully. I've got Forte, almost a running back two. Yeah. I'm not touching him. Yeah, I mean he's the guy who existed on volume last year. His efficiency stats stunk. I mean, and you know Tresman went away. I mean he's not he's yeah. not going to get 100 passing targets any again. So um, I'm I'm staying away from that. Um, the next uh, five rounds uh, with Jock Bell we talked about Martellus Bennett. Um, He's a guy who was when he was part of that you know that other tight end tier last year where he was a value, but now that other tight end tier with you know Witten and Delaney Walker and Tyler Eifert, he's not part of that tier anymore. Um, and I think he belongs there. So I haven't been getting I've not been getting him. And then uh, eleven through fifteen, Percy Harvin and Victor Cruz. I have zero of of both of them. I'm pretty sure I have zero Bills in any league. <laughs> Yeah, I got uh, Sammy Watkins in one of my dynasty leagues, yeah, but um, dynasty, yeah, yeah, I'm not touching uh, any of those other cats. That's for sure. And last question, you know, we always tell people when they're drafting, you need to be fluid. You know, don't go in with a strict path set. Yeah, be like water. <laughs> um, you know, you you need to react to the draft as a living, breathing thing. Um, there's going to be curveballs. Guys you didn't expect to be there is going to fall. Guys that you were hoping to grab for aren't going to be there. Um, if you were to lean towards a strategy, you know, like a, a late round QB, uh, do the opposite or, you know, upside down drafting or zero RB, do you have a, a set strategy that you lean towards or is there something else that you sort of use as a philosophy in drafting? Um, well, besides completely agreeing with you on, on, on being fluid and, you know, going into it, you know, as flexible as possible, and and if you could and try to find out as much as about the draft, you know, your besides just the rules, but I mean, your fellow drafters that though that league, you know, how they drafted last year, get a, getting as much of a sense as you can, which isn't always possible. So being fluid is the key. But um, I'm definitely a late round quarterback subscriber. Um, I know I have been for for quite a while. Um, I'm not, I'm an active owner, like like most people that are listening now. I mean, you know the matchups. There's plenty of resources out there to help you. Um, you know, you can play matchups, you know, with, with quarterbacks and save those high round picks for, for tougher to fill positions, especially running back. Um, as far as zero running back, um, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to be in a, in a, in a, in a, in a crazy league with, with a lot of entrants, you know, like a 200 entrant league with you know, different divisions and, and winner take all at the end, then you want to do something to, to kind of make it different. Like the Scott fishbowl that just went off. I kind of tried doing a, a modified zero running back with that, um, but for 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 your everyday um, home league, I think that's unnecessarily aggressive. I I agree, and I I kind of lean more towards uh, late round QB. But if I'm picking you know eleven or twelve in a twelve man draft, uh, I, I do the do the opposite. You know, I'm trying to do the contrarian picks. Everyone else is gobbling up running backs. I'm going elsewhere, trying to lock up some safe, secure guys in those first couple rounds. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I mean, if you, if you have an opportunity to, to, you know, 
pick your draft spot. You know, where, where do you like, I prefer, I prefer being in the middle. I don't, I don't like being on the ends because I don't like trying to have it to anticipate, you know, 23 picks. Uh, I, I, because I think in the middle, you're, you're able to be more flexible. You're able to take advantages of, of, of value leakage. Um, and uh, that, that's if you, if you have the opportunity to, that would be my, my advice. I'm not sure. Everyone doesn't agree with that, but, but that would be my advice. I think it changes year to year, and there's about six running backs, um, arguably seven, Marshawn Lynch, uh, but about six or seven running backs that I would be completely happy with taking uh, with my first pick. And I agree with you. I like being in the middle. Uh, not only am I going to end up with one of my top seven RBs, but then you can chart what the other guys are drafting. Yep. So the guys on the right of you, guys on the left of you, you know if a bunch of them have already taken tight ends, chances are they aren't. So you, it gives you a little more insight as to how they're going to draft if you're picking in the middle. If you're picking on one of the ends, yeah. it doesn't even, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, you're just hoping there's not a run on quarterbacks if, if, if you're trying to do a late-round quarterback uh, strategy because they, they, they could potentially all dry up, and then you might as well just you know, wait for the Carson Palmers at the very end. Hey, good luck in the uh, fishbowl, I believe. I think you might even be in the Pyromaniac um, league, but or division, but I'm not sure. I'd have to double check yeah, that. I'm, but, I'm uh, in the Spider Monkey division. Um, okay. I'm not exactly sure which. Maybe not. Maybe conference. it's another PFF guy. I, I know we're in the. Uh, I'm your boy. You're my boy, Blue division. I believe. Okay. Yeah. That's not. That's not. That's not me. Must be another PFF guy. <laughs> well. This has been Pyromaniac Mo sitting down with Pat Thorman again at Twitter, P-A-T underscore T-H-O-R-M-A-N, lead writer for PFF and Consultant at Draft Day Consultants, Inc. Pat, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. I, I had a good time. Absolutely. Folks, this has been a podcast version of a Pyromaniac Mo chat. You can follow me on Twitter at P-Y-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-C-M-O. Until the next time, until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, you have a good one.